Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. We'll be looking tonight at verses 1 through 23, the chapter. Genesis chapter 38. The good news, it's a tale of hypocrisy, sexual immorality, and personal growth. The bad news is we're going to skip it and move on to chapter 39. You may read it on your own time. I encourage you to do that. Uh, actually, it focuses, it changes focus from Joseph to Judah. And looking at Judah, uh, it does a couple of things. One, it really sets off Joseph, uh, Judah's sin uh, with a woman whom he thinks to be a harlot, a prostitute, contrasts with Joseph's behavior that we will see in our chapter tonight. Really, our focus is on Joseph. Um, however, you also see the second purpose, really, I think, of chapter 38 is to focus on Judah and the growth that takes place as he begins to acknowledge his own sin, his own shortcomings, which... Uh, prepares for the increasing role of leadership in the family that he will have even later in Genesis. Uh, but it really does serve to set off um, chapter 39, Joseph's behavior, his obedience, his righteousness. So let's begin by uh, reading Genesis 39. We'll read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll pray. We'll begin our study of the chapter. Hear the word of God. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this evening, and we pray that you would guide us in our study. Father, we pray that you will teach us, feed us, and instruct us from your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last time we left off uh, with Joseph in uh, chapter 37, uh, we pointed out that uh, after this wicked thing that his brothers had done in selling him into slavery... The chapter ends on something of a hopeful note, back in chapter 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, after they're weeping, even the brothers themselves, consoling Jacob, their father, over the loss of his son, uh, they had sunk that low after the, 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 the ruse, deceiving him with the bloody coat that his son had been mauled by a wild animal. Verse uh, 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And pick up again now with verse 1 in chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So the first thing we learn is that Joseph, though he is sold into slavery, 
in God's providence, uh, it turns out he is in a rather advantageous position. He was bought by an officer of Pharaoh's. He, uh, as the uh, chapter informs us, uh, was serving in the household. In other words, he wasn't a field hand. He was working in the household and, in fact, uh, rises quite quickly in Potiphar's house to a place of authority. Now, you'll notice verse 2. Uh, we, we have this expression twice here in, uh, in two verses. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. Now, I think that that statement, the Lord was with Joseph, looks back to verse 1 in explaining how he arrived where he did. And, of course, what follows. Uh, it explains what follows. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was the house of his Egyptian master. And even Potiphar acknowledges the presence and the blessing of God with him. Uh, he, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, uh, served him, but the word has the idea of high service, stewardship, uh, attended is a, is a good way to translate it. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So Potiphar quickly recognizes that this is a man of no small ability, and what's more, uh, everything he seemed to touch prospered, and it seems it's not long before Potiphar essentially makes him the chief steward of his household, uh, in charge of the household, in charge of other household uh, servants, slaves, and uh, so very quickly, Joseph rises to a place of prominence in, in Potiphar's house. Now, these first verses, the ones that we've read, we might describe as Joseph's rise. Uh, the middle of the chapter, really Joseph's trial or, or test. And then the third part of the chapter, Joseph's uh, fall. Well, this is Joseph's rise. The Lord is with him. We read that twice here. The Lord was with him, verse 2. Verse 3, Potiphar recognizes that. Potiphar gives him more and more authority, puts him in charge. And in fact, you'll notice the repetition. Uh, when, you, when you study a, a passage like this, a narrative passage in the Old Testament. Um, you know, when you read Paul's letters, uh, the emphasis comes through the outline. Well, when you read Hebrew narrative like this, the emphasis, the point, often comes through the repetition. And there, if you read carefully, you'll notice any, any number of themes in this chapter that are repeated. The Lord was with Joseph. But also the confidence, the responsibility, the confidence uh, Potiphar's Potiphar had in, in Joseph the responsibility that he had. Just listen. Listen to the repetition. Rephrase, restated, but repeated. Joseph found, verse 4, Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house, put him in charge of all that he had. From the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything. Literally, he did not know anything but the food he ate. And so the picture we have here is Joseph's rise. And Joseph sold into slavery, a horrible thing. And yet in God's providence, he ascends very quickly. His abilities, the Lord's blessing, it's repeated, it's emphasized. Potiphar's trust in him, confidence in him. Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything but showing up at mealtimes. And so that gives us the picture here uh, of, of the blessing. Of course, the Lord was with him. The Lord blessed him. The Lord gave him success. Everything looks great, right? 
Well, then things start to crumble. Have you ever had things going really well and, and lived with this nagging feeling in the back of your mind that something's wrong, something's got to go wrong soon, right? Something, it, it, I guess it depends on if you're an optimist or a pessimist, pessimist but uh, when things are going well, do you ever just kind of worry that they're going too well, something's bound to happen before long? Uh, sometimes it's nice when things are going bad because you realize it can't get any worse, although it often can. Well, here it does get worse. Things have been going great. The Lord's with Joseph. The blessing is there. But then it starts to get kind of dicey. Uh, we pick up with the second part of verse 6. We leave with the, Joseph in authority, Joseph being successful, Potiphar's confidence in him. But then we read the second part of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It was interesting. It's interesting that back in Genesis 29, the exact same words are used of his mother, Rachel. Although there it's translated, she was beautiful in form and appearance. But the exact same words are used to describe his mother, Rachel. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, which, of course, sets the stage for what is to come. And after a time, verse 7, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Nothing subtle, nothing indirect about this at all. It's just a, a, a direct, uh, not even put as, a, as an invitation, it's put as a, as a directive, a command. Lie with me. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, Joseph rebuffs this, uh, this uh, test, this temptation from Potiphar's wife. We don't know what Joseph thought about her. We don't know... Uh, any impressions he may have had of her, but what we do know is how he responded. And he basically gives three reasons why he can't do as she wants him to. In the first place, in verse 8, he pretty much tells her her husband Potiphar trusts him. He has entrusted the household to him. Joseph recognizes his position. He is nevertheless a slave. Uh, and it would be a very dangerous thing, given his position, effectively having no rights. Uh, but beyond that, he recognizes the, the confidence that Potiphar has in him, and he values that, his trust in him, the responsibility, the stewardship of his household. Second reason is that uh, Potiphar has entrusted everything to him, everything that is except his wife. Uh, verse 9, he, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. Uh, now, even in Egyptian society at that time, uh, adultery was frowned upon. And in fact, could be punishable by death. Uh, at, at any rate, Joseph uh, does not want to violate his master's marriage. But there's a third reason, and one that transcends even that, and we find it also in verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, he uses the generic term here, Elohim, for God, because he's speaking to a non-Jew, uh, speaking to someone who's 
covenant name, the Lord, would, would, would not make much sense. So he just said, how can I do this and sin against God? So Joseph is concerned about righteousness on the horizontal level. Potiphar trusts him, has confidence in him. He doesn't want to violate that trust. Uh, he recognizes that this is his master's wife. They're married, and he doesn't want to violate that marriage. But the last thing that he mentions, and really building to it is the most important, is the vertical dimension that to do this would be to commit sin against God and that he is not willing to do. Now, that's bad enough. However, we go on to read in verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day. This wasn't a one-time thing. Once this started, it was persistent. She was persistent. She was insistent. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her in this way. Well, now the trap is set. Now, the tension building in, in our account here of Joseph and what is happening. And then it zeroes in on one particular incident. Verse 11. One day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, grabbed hold of him, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. I refer to this as the Joseph maneuver. When I was my former church doing youth ministry, uh, talking about this passage, talking about situations that you might find yourself in that uh, you were uncomfortable in, uh, that temptation was there. What's the best thing to do? Well, the best thing to do is get out of there, run. And that's exactly what Joseph did. In fact, he left his garment in her hand. So quick was his haste to get out of there. He fled and got out of the house. He ran outside. He just, he got out. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, you see this wicked gleam in her eye. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out in a loud voice. And as soon as he heard, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Well, they say, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and this was a furious woman. And this was quite the uh, vicious lie that uh, she has concocted here uh, against Joseph. And notice, just again, notice the details. Notice the language here. She called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Now, she specifically refers to him as a Hebrew, part of which might have been to, uh, to use that term in something of a scornful way. We don't know what the other servants thought about Joseph being in charge of them. There may have been some envy, some resentment that this foreigner was placed over them. Uh, if there is, she is certainly appealing to that, to those feelings, this Hebrew uh, that he, her husband, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, us Egyptians, us of Potiphar's household, whatever it might be. Uh, he came in to lie with me. I, I screamed. As soon as I screamed, he left his garment beside me. 
which, by the way, is the same word used in verse 10. He would not lie beside her, implying maybe she had it in a uh, somewhat compromised, just placed it in a compromising location that might appear something else had been going on. Uh, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house, which, which he did, but not for the reasons she's saying, of course. And then she laid up his garment again by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us. Now, this is the second time she's referred to Potiphar bringing this Hebrew servant in the house and implicitly blaming him for what's happened. You remember in, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned by eating the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he asks, the Lord asks Adam what happened. He said, well, this woman whom you gave me. Implying, perhaps, not just a little bit of blame, certainly toward Eve, but even toward God, whom you gave me. Well, twice here, uh, Potiphar's wife refers to Potiphar bringing this Hebrew servant into the house, sort of indirectly blaming him, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. Now, that's a peculiar idiom, but we, we understand in a context what this means. Uh, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried and screamed, in other words, he left his garment beside me, and fled out of the house. Well, this leads to Joseph's uh, at least temporary downfall. Look at verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words, his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Presumably toward Joseph. Although, that's not stated. We don't know what went through Potiphar's mind, although it doesn't say he was angry with Joseph. That may have been part of it. It's possible that he was simply angry at the situation, angry that he comes home and suddenly there's this huge mess that he has to deal with. Certainly he values Joseph. Perhaps he felt betrayed by him. Perhaps he really was angry at Joseph. But we have no doubt that uh, a woman this brazen, uh, this probably would not have been the first incident of this nature, perhaps, or at least uh, inklings of it. No doubt Potiphar knew his wife and her predilections. Uh, he may simply have been angry because this was a mess. He had to do something about it, and he was going to lose a good servant in the process. Maybe this, is, this idea is furthered by verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now, prison to us is a perfectly natural idea. But for most of the ancient Near East, including in, in the Old Testament biblical laws, prison was never mentioned. That was never a punishment for any crime. Uh, and in fact, Potiphar could have had Joseph put to death. But he didn't. He put him in prison where the king's prisoners were kept. And records show that the Egyptians did practice uh, imprisonment. They had prisons. They did that. They were something of a of an anomaly in the ancient Near East, in that they practiced jailing people for various crimes, and Joseph was thrown into prison. He wasn't executed. He was put into prison, where the king's prisoners were confined, and, of course, a, a detail that uh, is important later, and he was there in prison. Wow, we've gone from Joseph 
experiencing the Lord's blessing. He seemed like he had the Midas touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. He was successful. He was promoted. He was rising. And now here he is. And unlike Judah in chapter 38 and his own wicked devices, Joseph did the right thing. Not just once, but repeatedly faced with this barrage of temptation. says, no, he's a man of honor. How could I do this? And not only violate Potiphar's trust, but his marriage, violate uh, the law of God. How can I do this thing and sin against God? And what does it get him? It gets him falsely accused and thrown into prison. Have you ever had that experience? Saying, Lord, I'm walking with you, trying to obey you, trying to be diligent in my devotional time, really trying to know you, know your word. Even started trying to memorize a psalm, and suddenly everything just seems to be going down the drain. That's, that's, that's what the writer of Psalm 73 struggles with, Asaph, right? Why is it that the wicked prosper and the godly suffer? What's going on? We even heard that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord blessed. What happened here? Did, did God suddenly go on coffee break? Did he, was he not paying attention? Maybe taking care of something, some other part of the world when this was happening to Joseph? And here Joseph's in prison. What do we read? Not at all. Look at verse 21. He was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the guard paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. What you have is called an inclusio. Bookends. The the beginning of the chapter, the success of Joseph in Potiphar's house, where he seemed to end up by sin and tragedy, being sold into slavery, to the end of the chapter, where Joseph ended up in prison by sin and treachery. And in both instances, the Lord was with him. In both instances, the Lord used him. In both instances, the Lord blessed him and prospered him. It really is almost funny. His brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. He winds up in Potiphar's house. The Lord's with him. The Lord blesses him, gives success to whatever he does. Potiphar's wife accuses him, falsely accuses him, has him thrown into prison. Potiphar throws him into prison, and Joseph lands in prison and winds up being put in charge. And it seems that whatever he does prospers, and the keeper of the jail had confidence in him. It's just like in Pharaoh's house, only now it's in prison, because the Lord was with him. But at the beginning and at the end of the chapter, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, you have to shut out what you know of the rest of Joseph's story. And put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Joseph didn't know how all this craziness was going to turn out. All Joseph knew was he went to go check on his brothers and they sell him to slavery. He's faithfully doing his duty as a steward of Potiphar and he's thrown into prison. That's all he sees. That's all he knows. Perhaps you've had the struggle. Not necessarily of knowing in your head that God is in charge, but wrestling with it in your heart. 
when things are going bad, when life is painful, when it really doesn't seem to make any sense. And we can't help but suspect that's where Joseph was. Joseph knew the Lord. He wanted to obey the Lord. But so far, he seemed to be, the good news was he was prospering. The bad news is he's now prospering in prison. Um, And yet, the chapter tells us, beginning and end, regardless of where he was, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was blessing him. The Lord was at work in his life. Now, as we look at this chapter, that really would have to be the main lesson. And it's repeated four times. The Lord was with Joseph, verse 2. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. In verse 23, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God's providence doesn't mean that everything's always going to go easy, or what we might consider to be well. And again, shutting out the end of the story that we know, and looking at it from Joseph's point of view at this point, it really doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Where is God? Well, God's ruling. God has his purposes for Joseph, and he's working all of this out perfectly and according to his will. And so really we'd have to say that's the major lesson that we we learn as we study this passage. Where we are today... On this Sunday evening, we don't know what this week holds. We don't know what life will look like by December 31st of this year. Just like Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. Just like Joseph when he ended up in prison, though he was an innocent man. We don't know. But God does. And we have to trust that God in his goodness, in his wisdom, is working out his purposes for us. Kind of a sub-lesson, sub-text of this chapter has to do with integrity, has to do with obedience. It's a twisted world. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. And sometimes integrity comes at a great cost. And that was true for Joseph. Potiphar's wife didn't say, oh, you know, I admire you, such a man of integrity, such high ideals. No, she falsely accused him. She's a wicked person, has him thrown into jail. And that, I think, is another lesson that we draw from this passage. The fact that obedience to Christ might bring more pain than what might appear to be blessing. And that's no surprise. You find that throughout Scripture. From here with Joseph doing the right thing and suffering for it, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to the idolatrous statue and being thrown into the fiery furnace, which, by the way, again, we well, sure, you know, God was with them. He spared them. They didn't know that. They said God could deliver them, but if not, if they became ashes in a matter of seconds, well, they still weren't going to bow down to this idol. Uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who was the most obedient, the most righteous, the most godly, person who ever lived and went to the cross for it, of course, in God's purposes for us. I mean, even Joseph sinned. Joseph was not uh, perfect. He was a sinner, although at this point he did obey God, and obviously good conscience before God could not do such a thing. Uh, but our Lord Jesus, of course, was obedient in a way that you I never will be, and his obedience led to Calvary's cross. So if there's a second theme that we find in this passage, it is that in this fallen world, obedience may well come at a price. And yet, 
God uses even that. God works even through the suffering, even through the difficulty, even through the rejection of this world to accomplish his own purposes. And yes, God works through our sin, even when we have blown it. Look at Joseph's brothers. We looked at that last time. God used their sin. Their sin was part of God's purpose. Their sin was their idea. It was their sin. It was their malice, their hate. And yet, while they meant what they did for evil, God meant what they did for good. So as we look at Joseph, we find him here in prison, and yet again, a little bit of an upturn here, and whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. So a little bit of light there at the end of the chapter. But remember this, God was in charge. What is true of Joseph is true of you, and it's true of me as children of God. The Lord is with us. That may not always look the way we think it will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter. And Lord, we recognize Joseph did not hear the Lord was with him. In fact, Lord, we can't help but wonder if Joseph sometimes doubted that. Wonder if maybe you were against him. But four times we're told the Lord was with him. Lord, we know in our own lives we have instances, maybe not quite on this scale, but days and weeks, months, even years, when things just seem to be going downhill. Lord, you have promised that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, that you are with us. Lord, we know that even in pain, even in trials, you are the sovereign God who in your providence are working out your good purposes in our lives to make us like Christ, to make us more godly, to prepare us for heaven. Lord, we do pray that you will sanctify us, even as you were sanctifying Joseph, even as you were shaping and molding him to be the man that you would have him to be, that you would be at work in our lives, to make us to be the men and the women that you would have us to be. Lord, help us to receive your providence without grumbling, without complaining, but humbly, submissively, and in much faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.